Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now there's going to be a price. There's a price to pay for being a promise keeper, just as there was for Joseph. The price was he couldn't be with his family down there. I remember some time ago, I was a Sunday, and I went outside, and I was seeing how beautiful this particular Sunday was, which a lot of them are, you know. <laughs> and I thought to myself, boy, it'd be nice to just be out here all day, and, you know, I love to go through that magic moment when the day, you know, kind of gets to dusk, and then it gets dark. That's really nice. And I was thinking to myself, no, but I got a lot of work to do. I got to go teach all these people in Sunday school. You know, and then a Sunday evening. But, you know, Joseph is an encouragement. Because as far as Joseph was concerned, as far as all of us are concerned, there's a rest coming. There's a rest coming. And it tells us that in Hebrews 4.9. Hebrews 4.9 says, there remaineth a rest to the people of God. That's such an encouragement just to meditate on that word. Remaineth a rest for this to the people of God. Now, I'm talking about passing away, and that's fine, but there is a rest that really this verse in Hebrews Hebrews 4.9 is referring to that the world knows nothing about, and this rest is in the Lord Jesus. When it says, when he said in Matthew 11.28, Matthew 11.28, when he said these words, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. So this is a soul rest. So the rest that remains of the people of God is a secret rest. It's a secret rest that's found in the Lord Jesus. And really, when, when Hebrews 4.9 is saying, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, it's speaking about this in contrast to those who are trying to get to heaven by doing good, good works, it's a contrast to those that are trying to keep the law, keep the law. So, I, you know, I told you this last weekend, my friends in Jewish ultra-Orthodox for a wedding in Canada where there were several hundred Jewish Orthodox. Boy, did I feel like I was out of place. But, I mean, all the laws they have to keep. First of all, it starts with, uh, well, you can't eat breakfast. You can't come to the kitchen here. We're going to have a separate room in a hotel. We're all going to come for breakfast where the kosher baker is going to come and bring us kosher chocolate croissants, which were very good, and kosher fruit. I don't know how you do that, but anyway, it was all there. And so there was all kinds of laws for what can and cannot be eaten and the clothing with the, the hat and everything and all the laws of prayer and where when you pray and what direction you have to be praying and what you wear and so forth. And as a matter of fact, all these prayers, they all start out with a very interesting 
it's, it all goes like this, you know, Baruch atah anai eloheinu melech ha'olam, which is blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. But then it says, asher kirishano b'mitzvotov. So asher kirishano b'mitzvotov, that's interesting because asher kirishano means who has sanctified us. Asher kirishano means who has sanctified us. B'mitzvotov means by his commandments. He has sanctified us by his commandments. That's what it means. And when you live like that, surrounded by 613 Jewish laws, which I've never heard anybody repeat or recite or even give me a list of, I'm sure they exist somewhere, that's a lot of work. And there's no rest. There's no rest because to live like that is to be under a debt or an obligation that's spoken of in Galatians 5.3. Galatians 5.3 speaks about a life like that when it says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You know, the law is not a smorgasbord. <laughs> you know, come to the law and you say, well, I think I'll have a little bit of this. Not like that. A little bit of that. It's not like that. See, to live by the law means that you have to live by all the law. You have to eat it all. Yeah. A debtor to do the whole law. There's not much rest there. There's not much rest there. That's why Hebrews 4.9 is so important when it says, there remaineth a rest to the people of God. That means that as opposed to a life of asher kiddushan ob mitzvotav, you know, sanctified by keeping commandments, the people of God are sanctified by the blood of the Lord Jesus, and that's rest. That's rest for the soul. That's why when you look at the whole of that, Hebrews 4.9, there remaineth therefore a rest of the people of God. You look at Hebrews 4.9, for together, Hebrews 4.9 and 10 together, then it comes out like this. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So all this means a freedom from a life of asher kiddushan obamitzvotav. It's all a freedom from having to be sanctified by keeping God's commandments, ceased from his own works, Hebrews 4.10. Hebrews 4.10, ceased from his own works. Now, we read in, in verse 13, it says, in Genesis 47, don't forget, we are studying Genesis here. Hebrews 47.13, there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land, that the land of Egypt, all the land of Canaan, fainted by reason of the famine. I mean, we just to, just need to, let those words sink a little bit, sink in a little bit. They fainted by reason of the famine. It means this was very dire. So very dire when it says that there was no bread in all the land. I mean, can you imagine the growling stomachs and the hungry looks on everybody's eyes? Are they going to look? They don't even have to ask the question. Do you have any bread? Do you have any food? You know, you any food? Is there anything in your pocket? And they just could see the answer. No, I don't have any food. That's the picture in verse 13. There was no bread in all the land. And these people are really on the verge of literally starving, starving to death. They're on the verge of that. And this happened somewhere between the fourth and the, the sixth year of the famine. You know, the fourth and sixth year of the seven-year famine. And what's interesting here is that the people waited till this point of desperation before they came to Joseph. Isn't that a picture of man in this life I mean, man goes through hard times and he said, it's all right, I can uh, uh, grin it, stiff upper lip, and I'll bear it myself, I'll take care of it. I have what it takes to get me through this. I'll be just fine, I'll be just fine, I've got it all. And they don't turn to God, and they just rely on themselves. And just like the Egyptians, they didn't come to Joseph, 
at the start. But then there comes this point of desperation, this point when then he turns to God to help me, and, and he says, oh, God, I can't do this. Please help me. And that's just like the Egyptians had to come to this point of desperation, the point of fainting by reason of the famine. Then they turned to Joseph for help. Now, why did they end up this way? Why did this happen to the Egyptians? Well, you know, because they just didn't listen to Joseph. They didn't believe him. They didn't listen. He gave him the warning. He said, you know, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, seven years of famine. It's a warning. So they knew how much food they consumed in a year, and they knew how much extra food they needed to store up for the seven years, but they didn't. No one in Egypt listened to, to, to Joseph when he warned them about the coming famine. Think about Paul's journey with the ship when he was a prisoner on the ship, and no one listened to him either when he said, stay in this harbor. Don't go sailing off now. In Acts 27.10, Acts 27.10, he said unto them, Sirs, I, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. They didn't believe Paul. They didn't believe him. Then they leave, and the terrible storm comes, and which eventually destroyed the ship. But Paul stands up in, in Acts 27.21, Acts 27.21, after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. It's just like today, because the gospel really contains a warning. You know, in John 3.16, it's wonderful that it starts off with the love of God. Most people just hear about the love of God. God so loved the world. But the end of it, it's a strong warning when it said, Whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a warning. That's a warning that if a person doesn't believe into the Lord Jesus, he's going to perish by being cast into hell, which is not annihilation. And so it brings us back to the question, why didn't the Egyptians believe? Why didn't they believe the warning that Joseph gave him about the seven years of famine, which is the same question today? Why don't people today believe the warning that they're going to be cast into hell as a destiny of everyone who doesn't believe in the Lord? What would you say is the reason why people today don't believe, really believe the warning of being cast into hell? What would you say? So there's no cliff we can take people over to the other say, look over there. See that? That's hell, you know, <laughs> and you're going to be cast into there. We can't do that. And the other one is, is as you say, well, we don't know when. It's sort, of, it's sort of in this ethereal maybe because people today really have a baseless hope, this ethereal someday. And the baseless hope is described for us very accurately in Isaiah 56, 12. Isaiah 56, 12 is actually a God is letting us hear this conversation of this baseless hope. When it says in Isaiah 56, 12, come ye, say they, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. Now here's the baseless hope. And tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. See, that's the basis of hope. Tomorrow shall be as this day. You know, it's the San Diego hope. You know, San Diego hope. We live in San Diego. Today's a beautiful day. And the weather person will get up and say, tomorrow's going to be just like today. And God says, there is another day that's approaching. And the Bible calls this day an appointed day in Acts 17.31. Acts 17.31 says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man 
whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. See, one day there's going to be a tomorrow that will not be as this day. And one day there's going to be a day appointed by God in which he's going to judge, and the judge is going to be by the Lord Jesus who he raised from the dead. And the problem is, is that deep down in the heart, every man knows that, well, it's somewhere out there, but he's not willing to take it seriously. And the other problem is, is that everybody knows they haven't obeyed God. They haven't obeyed God. It reminds me of, of an Orthodox Jewish man I was talking to this last week, and he was talking about sin, and he says, oh, sin? He says, well, I'm not perfect. He says, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. So I think, what man calls I'm not perfect and I make mistakes is what God calls in Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when man says, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes, God calls that, Romans 6.23, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's very serious. Now, if a person could keep the law perfectly, he's golden, according to uh, Ecclesiastes 8.5. Ecclesiastes 8.5 says, Whosoever keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. Whosoever, whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. That's Ecclesiastes 8.5. But every person knows they haven't done it. They haven't kept the law. And so that verse, that passage goes on to say, in Ecclesiastes 8.6, Ecclesiastes 8.6, the misery of man is great upon him, for he knoweth not what that which shall be, and who can tell him when it shall be. There is no man that hath power of the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of his death, and there is no discharge in that war. Eh? So this is the problem, is this baseless hope and then yet the knowledge that everybody has that, that they haven't kept the law, and there's this misery, and especially the misery is added to by not knowing when the day is going to come, when it's like, okay, that's it, then now judgment. So finally, when the Egyptians, they have no strength left, they come to Joseph, and he sells them corn. And now starts the history of how Joseph saves the Egyptians from starvation. I mean, you know, Joseph did not say, those idolatrous Egyptians, God doesn't care about them. You know, God only cares about the people of God, the Jewish people. Now, this history shows how wrong that thinking is. And this is the problem of thinking that in the Old Testament, there is the God who only cares about the Jewish people, and the New Testament is there is the God who cares about the Gentiles. I mean, the passage, this passage shows how wrong that thinking is, because God, through Joseph here, is caring for the Gentiles, and this wrong concept of this huge difference between the Old and New Testaments, that somehow in the Old Testament we have a different God, a God of wrath, and then in the New Testament we have a God of love, this wrong concept about the Old Testament is supported by the name, the Old Testament. You know, calling the Scriptures the Old Testament is a problem because to call something old implies that it's outdated and it has to be replaced by a new or to call something old implies that it's worn out, you know, like my old coat. I don't want to wear my old coat. i got a new coat now. And to call a document old means that it implies, there, there ha, where's the sequel? There must be the sequel. It's called the new. I mean, this played with me. You know, I didn't know anything about the Bible. Well, and when I first pick up the Bible, I'm not a reader. 
So I first pick up a Bible, it's almost 2,000 pages, and I think, oh, so this is how people die. (laughs) And, you know, but I saw, well, two-thirds of it is called old. So I think, well, that's old and worn out, you know? And I want something new, and it's shorter, so I start reading the New Testament. So instead of calling the Old Testament the Old Testament, wouldn't it be better if we called it the Older Testament? The Older Testament. To call it the Older Testament gives it an honor of having an older foundation on which the New Testament is built on. I mean, someone came to me the other day and, they, and, and said, why is it that you only preach out of the Old Testament? It was kind of accusing, you know. I felt like saying, but I didn't say, the reason I preach out of the Old Testament is because you call it the Old Testament. <laughs> but I didn't, because I'm nice, sometimes. So, and that's the point of this passage It's Joseph who is loving and feeding Egypt, just like the Lord Jesus loves and feeds all his creation, all his creation. You know, so it says in Psalm 147, 9, Psalm 147, 9, it says, he giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. Well, I I thought it was just food that the animals, uh, you know, I, I, I just thought it was food the animals ate. No, the Bible says in Psalm 147, 9, that it's God's food that he gives to the animals. You know, Psalm 104, 21, Psalm 104, 21 says, the young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. You know, oh, I thought they were just roaring to scare the prey, you know. No, the Bible says that the lions are seeking their meat from God when they roar. You know, it says in, in, in Joel 120, Joel 120, the beasts of the field cry also unto thee, unto God. Oh, I thought the animals just were making noises out there because that's what animals do. No, the Bible says the animals are crying to God. And then when the Lord Jesus went on to say in Matthew 6.26, Matthew 6.26, behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. He said, we said, oh, I, I, I thought the birds just feed themselves from the seeds that evolution was kind enough to leave over for them. You know? <laughs> no, the Bible says God the Father is feeding them. Now, when it says now in verse 14 that Joseph, in verse 14, that Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, it means that Joseph just went there and like swept up all the money. There was, it reminds me of uh, this, like I say, this wedding I went to last weekend. My, my friend, the rabbi, this was, he has four children, and this was the last child to be married. It was the last child to be married. So, but the Orthodox have a tradition when you have the last child to be married is that at the wedding, they get a broom, start sweeping the floor. <laughs> That's what they do, and start sweeping the floor. It's like saying, okay, last child's married, all swept up. You know? <laughs> so, that's what Joseph's doing here. You know, he's going around gathering, sweeping up all the money that's in the land there. Now we see that at the end of verse 14, what Joseph did with this money. Joseph did with this money. It says, it, Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So he brings all the money into Pharaoh's house. He doesn't keep a, you know, a, a collector's fee, a percentage, you know, a small percentage, maybe 2%. He doesn't do that. He does, a collection fee doesn't do that, but he, he brought it all in. That's important. It's important now. It's important today. Because it's Purim today. And Purim time, one of the important parts, little details about Purim, was that there was this day 
when the Jews would defend themselves against their haters who were planning to exterminate them, to murder them, and they were given permission to, to kill those. And it says that they were also given permission to heap the spoil of the haters of the Jews. In, in Esther 8.11, Esther 8.11, says the king granted the Jews which in their, were in every city to gather themselves together to stand for their lives, just to destroy, to slay, and cause to perish all the power of the people in Proverbs that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. So they were given special permission, not only to destroy those who were going to destroy them, but to take their prey. But a special point is made about that, what actually happened in Esther 9.15, Esther 9.15, the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together, and on the 14th day also of the month of Adar, and also slew 300 men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in all the king's provinces, this is a lot of provinces, we're talking about from Ethiopia to India, huge swath of the earth. But the other Jews, which in all the king's provinces, gathered themselves together, stood for their lives, had rest from their enemies, slew of their foes 70 and 5,000, but they laid not their hands on the prey. So just like Joseph, who, who didn't take any of the money for himself, they didn't take any of the money for themselves, even though they have the right to do it. They didn't. Now, they come, the people come. People give all their money to, to Joseph for bread. Money is run out in verse 15. Verse 15, money failed in the land of Egypt, land of Canaan. All the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, give us bread. Why should we die in thy presence? The money faileth. So the money is run out, and they're saying, give us bread. Now, this was a particular process that's going on here. We're going to start with the money, then we're going to go to the cattle, and then we're going to go to the lands and the people. It's a process. And the point about this process is that it's a process in which the will of the people who were starving had to be engaged, had to be involved in this. You know, Joseph didn't go out there of his own, uh, you know, of his, he didn't put himself forward and say, you know, I watched you all empty out your pockets of all the money that you had for bread, so I know your money's run out, so, so here's what I'm going to do for you next. Bring your cattle, and I'll give you bread. He didn't take the initiative. He didn't say that, but he didn't do that. Instead, he sat back, and he waited, and the people came to him and said, why should we die in your presence? He was not going to impose himself, Joseph was not going to impose himself on the people by coming with this strong, heavy hand and saying, uh, I know you don't have any food, and I know you don't have any money, so bring your cattle and your land, and now your persons. He didn't do that, because the people had to be willing themselves this had to come from the will of the people to come to Joseph, and that's what Joseph waited for. That's a picture of how God works with people. God does not impose himself on people, just as Joseph did not, but God waits for people to come to him for help, just as Joseph did. And they have to be willing to come to him to want the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior before he says, okay. So that's what happened there. Let's stop here. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for what a wonderful person Joseph was and, and is, and Lord, for how you helped him and gave him such wisdom and how to deal with these situations, Lord, and we thank you for, for that, and we pray that we should be a promise keeper like he is, in Jesus' name, amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 